0: Welcome to The Whole Marketer, where we look at the holistic skills the marketeers of today need to grow the brands and businesses of tomorrow, to ensure marketeers feel supported and empowered to have successful and fulfilling careers and lives as a whole. Hello and welcome to The Whole Marketer podcast. Today's podcast is a podcast that actually sits across all the areas of The Whole Marketer concept. The topic on today's podcast is purpose or purpose upgrade. It's an area of personal understanding, a technical skill, but also aids in the way in which we lead our organizations and motivate our teams. Shortly, I'll be joined by today's guest, Paul Skinner, the author of The Purpose Upgrade, Change Your Business to Save the World, Change the World to Save Your Business. But before I do, let me just tell you why I believe it's so important. A purpose provides the higher order or cause that the brand is dedicated to. It's the reason that a brand exists beyond the need to make money. By having clarity of what we as a brand or business are doing to contribute to society as a whole, evokes both an emotional response to our consumers, but also our stakeholders. In today's podcast with Paul, we will discuss the importance of not only having a purpose, but actually looking at the need to define our purpose again. Societal changes changes in the macro environment, and much more. Today's guest is Paul Skinner, author of The Purpose Upgrade, and his previous book, Collaborative Advantage, how collaboration beats competition as a strategy for success, which was described by Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield, co-founders of Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream, as the perfect recipe for a successful business that improves life. As well as an author, Paul is also a strategy consultant and social entrepreneur who works to change the stories we live and Work by for the better. His social enterprise, Marketing Kind, of which I'm personally a member, is a professional membership community that brings together business leaders, marketeers, and change makers to tackle social and environmental problems through their businesses, volunteering, and advocacy. In his consulting practice, the agency of the future, Paul advises global businesses and pioneering charities and social enterprises, as well as institutions of international and global governance by helping them to drive purpose-led change and better mobilize stakeholders for lasting success. I had the privilege of reading Paul's book ahead of it being launched. In the book, you'll find my following testimonial. It would be almost impossible to read this book and not feel inspired and driven to throw yourself straight into the valuable work of upgrading the purpose of your enterprise or organization. Changing lives for the better and building a stronger commercial business with greater engagement from all your stakeholders in doing so. The Purpose Upgrade provides a complete methodology to redefine and embed your purpose facing into the realities of the challenge in driving and embedding this change. In today's podcast episode, we'll explore the concept of purpose and purpose upgrade with Paul. So, Paul, welcome to the Whole Marketer podcast.
1: Thank you, Abby. a great pleasure to be on one of the episodes. I've enjoyed listening to them previously.
0: Oh, I love it when a listener becomes a guest. There is nothing better. So, as always, as you know, as a listener of the podcast, we start with a big, juicy question. And today's big, juicy question is really quite juicy. What is purpose to you?
1: So I would say purpose is most fundamentally a capacity of human thought. You know, we can't necessarily say that the ground beneath us has a purpose or we can't say necessarily that physics has a purpose. Science certainly anyway can't tell us, yet at least, that if there is a meaning of life. But we can't help but live lives of meaning because meaning is what we use to map the world around us and to plan our journeys to better. And I mean this in quite a literal way. It turns out that brains evolved in order to facilitate movement with volition. So it's only creatures that have to move with intention that have evolved to have brains. The sea squid is an interesting example because it actually combines both approaches. It has a brain that it uses to find somewhere good to live. And then once it's found that place and doesn't need to move anymore, it gets rid of its brain because brains are actually quite calorically expensive to run. (laughs) So once the squid doesn't need to find somewhere better, it gets rid of it. Now, what's interesting about movement is in order to plan a journey to better, you need to know where you've been where you are and where you could get to and that gets to the heart of human purpose because you know we're not necessarily better at movement than other creatures you know you're not going to out sprint a jaguar or a cheetah and if you're anything like me you're not going to out navigate a migratory bird i I couldn't do so even with a a sat nav but one thing we are good at is that where we've been where we are and where we could get to we understand those as the key components of a story There's the beginning, the middle, and the end. There's our memory, which is a story. I came across a wonderful phrase recently reading the history of Russia, and the particular author had used the phrase, the past is an unpredictable place. But certainly our memory is less empiric and objective than we think. It's a story. It's a recollection. Our interpretation of the present is a story as well. We don't see objective reality. We see an interpretation of reality. And of course, the future is something that we imagine. Unlike other species, we can tell ourselves stories of purpose that go beyond immediate intentionality and allow us to take much more imaginative journeys through life as a whole. You know, that's our unique advantage. It's why, unlike other species, we haven't just evolved as magnificent as evolution may be, but have also been able to develop from generation to generation. One primatologist commented that apes are actually quite good psychologists, but the reason that they live in much the same way from generation to generation is that they can't write their insights down. They can't share them with each other in a way that we can. So that's our most adaptive capacity as a species. It's why we've been able to develop. It's how we've been able to so accelerate the change in our lives and work, especially over just the last three human lifespans. But of course, past performance is not a guarantee of future success and where human purpose has been such a magnificent adaptive capacity for us previously unless we're able to renew that purpose there is a, a danger that it turns against us and that our very capacity for imagination could ultimately bring about our downfall so even beyond enterprises for humanity as a whole the ability to renew our purpose in a changing environment is absolutely critical.
0: Thank you for that definition and also that education because I was sat here writing notes Paul about all of those things and about how we've evolved and how as beings that move we have that capacity to want to as you said live lives of meaning and move with intention and I think we have been on a journey of discovery As humans to understand how motivating, how empowering living a life of meaning or living a life of purpose is. And it feels to me that, you know, I believe I live a life of purpose. I know you do also, but I do think we're still on this journey as human beings, as people that don't all know the beauty of living a life of purpose. And also, The need, which links to where I'm going in a second with your book, which is to upgrade our purpose and to find new meaning as we evolve as human beings and our businesses evolve and society as a whole evolves. So on that point, Paul, in your new book, Purpose Upgrade, which is brilliant, by the way, for those that are listening, I wrote a testimonial in the book and one of the things I said is you can't help but feel inspired to do something different, having read that book. And I stand by what I said. So in your new book called Purpose Upgrade, change your business to save the world, change the world to save your business. You talk about the benefits of organisations having purpose and the benefit it brings to employers commercially, and of course, the planet. Can you tell us more about the benefits of redefining your purpose and what that brings? or defining your purpose as a whole, because I know there's still a lot of organisations out there that haven't even embraced the benefits of that.
1: Yeah, of course. So let's take those one at a time. So in terms of redefining purpose, I've talked about human purpose as our most adaptive capacity. And often people talk about the evolution of innovation, evolution in enterprise, and so on. And so the biggest advantage to an enterprise in repurposing and achieving an important purpose upgrade is to maintain its adaptive capacity in its environment. Change is not easy. There has to be a reason for change. Either it has to be imposed upon us or we have to seek to gain some benefit from change, particularly in organisational life. And so, of course, it was environments of change that gave rise to the need to innovate. And we learned in a previous era in the evolution of enterprise adaptation, we learned to innovate first incrementally and then more disruptively, often by combining ideas from different domains. And you can think of Steve Jobs's iPhone, the web browser, a music player, and a phone all in one device. Then in a further overall era of the evolution of enterprise adaptation, of course, with the internet and digital communications technology, we've learned not just to innovate, but to transform our organisations and how they operate. And I believe that we've now reached an environment of such macro-environmental change. So much interconnectedness, so much interdependence that we've reached a point where in order to maintain an adaptive fit with our environment, we need not just to innovate, not just to transform our organisations, but to fundamentally repurpose our enterprises as well as the activities within them often the need to repurpose particularly comes in the light of change that was outside of our previous scope of reference. And we certainly haven't been short of change from outside our usual business thinking in recent years, of course, with the financial collapse, the pandemic, the invasion of Ukraine, the cost of living crisis, the climate emergency itself. And so my sense is that the need for purpose level change is only going to rise in the years ahead. Looking to the future, we don't really know if the rise in hardship is going to lead to bigger thinking or just to chaotic thinking on the part of political leaders and perhaps entrenchment on the part of businesses that don't know where to go. The climate emergency, it could unlock a new era of global cooperation, and there is so much to like about climate-compatible living. But on the other hand, we know that it's a risk multiplier and it could also simply drive more conflict. If we think about technology, are we finally heading towards the sort of automated luxury that was sort of predicted by John Maynard Keynes? Or on the contrary, is technology actually increasing our fragilities and our vulnerabilities with so much becoming internet-based, how much of life could go wrong if next time, you know, with the pandemic, the internet saved us and allowed life in many ways to continue very well. In a future scenario, as we become more and more dependent on the internet and perhaps more medical operations, travel, transport, so much of life becomes increasingly dependent on one thing. A solar flare takes out the internet and it, it could have caused far more fragilities. It could cause more urgent catastrophe than the pandemic provoked. So, with technology, we don't know if we're heading one way or if we're heading towards new vulnerabilities. And so one thing we perhaps can anticipate is that in our more crisis-prone environment, there will continue to be rapid and extensive shifts in the real needs of the people we serve. And so I believe that that will cause us to call into question the very purpose of our enterprises and activities within them more frequently and more extensively, and that repurposing our organisations to better maintain a real adaptive fit and be more useful to their stakeholders is the biggest business opportunity that's going to be available to us in the years ahead, probably the biggest opportunity full stop that will be available to us in the years ahead.
0: I think those that are listening, I'm sure nodding along thinking, yeah, I can really see in light of all of those changes that you have described, how now more than ever, do we need to reflect and adapt and make sure that we are fitting our organisations or enterprises, as you call them, with the new society in which we live. And As you described those examples around innovation, I'm sure people are also nodding along and can understand that commercial benefit. What are the other benefits having a purpose brings to an enterprise or an organisation or a business?
1: Yeah, so I'm going to challenge a little bit a premise in the question. I mean, certainly having an effective purpose is useful in terms of it defines a territory for growth. It helps us create more compelling benefits for customers. It creates a more rewarding environment for colleagues where they're more likely to bring their discretionary effort, their talent, their whole selves, as you might put it, as the author of that fantastic book, The Whole Marketer. And so essentially an effective purpose creates more value for all of the businesses that a stakeholder needs and therefore serves to bring those stakeholders on side. You know, we typically we think too much internally about our own little narrow purpose. Actually thinking about making an enterprise a channel for something greater than itself is tremendously effective because we need our stakeholders to succeed. I'll give one little example and then I'll explain how I challenge a little bit the premise of the question. So one little example is a lot of businesses, a lot of business owners or entrepreneurs, Entrepreneurs, for example might describe their business in terms of I have a you know hundred million pound business or or whatever. They might describe it in terms of their turnover or the value of the business. That's only interesting really to a very small number of people. It's interesting mm. if you own the business. <laughs> Even in terms of employees, there's a relatively small number of employees who are actually directly interested in enterprise value. And so one organization that's taken a different approach is of course the Eden Project, where they track the total value that they create for tourism in Cornwall I think the last time I checked it was already had reached surpassed 2.2 billion pounds now of course that, is an effective story for mobilising a lot of stakeholders. So I think that we need a purpose that is not just meaningful to us, but is meaningful to all the people that we need if we're going to enrol them on a meaningful journey of change with us. Where I want to just challenge a little bit the premise of that question is, in a sense, tacitly implied in the question was the idea that an organisation doesn't yet have a purpose, or that what a purpose means is something above and beyond being an effective business. It's something that you do when you're in a position to altruistically help others. And I think both of those premises are made more likely to think by the models that we have on purpose, and which is partly why I read the book, hopefully to bring a new perspective. Most organizations were created with a purpose. It's why startups are so purposeful, because they're close to a problem that they have to solve. So there is often a reason why. It's just often that that reason why is no longer adequate to today's needs, and that's why we need a purpose upgrade. And then the second part of the challenge is the idea that purpose is a way of giving back once you're able to be a viable business. And I would say that purpose, if we go back to your opening question, purpose is about enabling us to determine where we want to go. It's that which sets our fundamental direction. So it's not that which comes on top. It's that which determines what we do in the first place, how we create value. And I think that you're right that most of the models we have of thinking about purpose don't even affect what does a business do to create value. And so you end up with ludicrous scenarios such as British American tobacco being one of the best rated companies in the world against ESG indicators, for example, because ESG indicators measure and look at your governance of sustainability, but being able to sustain a a business doesn't necessarily mean it's doing something valuable in the first place or solving an important problem. So really, I would say that purpose is not something that you only think about at the sort of higher echelon of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But it is far more fundamental than that. And I think that will become incredibly relevant in the immediate months ahead with the cost of living crisis, Mm. because, you know, purpose isn't just about the higher end of our aspirations. Purpose is about safety, it's about security, it's about survival, and so on. So purpose is really more fundamental than many of our current ways of thinking about purpose imply.
0: I agree with absolutely everything that you said. And the reason why I asked that question is because in those organisations, as you said, in startups or those that are setting out in more recent times, they already see the benefit of defining a purpose. They probably started their business based on a purpose. And so they are already embracing that thinking about why they are doing what they're doing, who they're doing it for, and the benefit that it brings. And it fuels all of those things that you described. What I've seen in large organisations, to your point, is it's the thing that they think about after they've done the vision or the strategy, or they've set that commercial goals, you know, that numeric commercial target that you just talked about, only being motivating to the owners to give them that clarity. And then they do it as an afterthought. And That's where that question came from, because I know many individuals already know the benefit of what having a purpose will bring them in that motivation for themselves, for the people that work within the business, and even ones that are deeply rooted in those that give back. And outside of just the example of Patagonia, we all know a business that's been built on a true altruistic purpose. And there are many others that all of those examples are scattered in your books so brilliantly. I just think there's probably some people that are already in big organizations that lack the soul, that lack the purpose, and are probably listening thinking, I want that. I wish that we could sit and take stock and relook at how we structure our business, how we drive our business, how we focus our business. Almost like the analogy that's coming to mind is like a big ship on an ocean that Mm. hasn't quite course corrected in a direction where everybody wants to go on the journey. And it's those people that are probably listening, thinking, I want this, where do I start? Less than not knowing the benefit, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I think there are many reasons why people are held back on purpose. And we've briefly introduced one of them, which is a lot of the concepts that we're given through which to think about purpose are inherently flawed. They're also psychological reasons that can make it hard to embrace purpose-level adaptation. And these are present in individuals, they're present across whole societies, and of course they're present in individual enterprises as well. So in enterprise life, it's incredible how even very successful businesses can turn out to be surprisingly fragile when it comes to the psychological effects of their sunk costs. Yeah, You know, when it comes to the plan continuation biases of their leaders, and when it comes to the progress traps through which the expectations and actions that gave rise to their Prior success are the very things that create their future failure. And I think we can see this all around us. Things like shareholder value maximization, for example, Mm. we tend to think of that as being not a purpose. Actually, there was a reason why people embraced that concept. Went back to early phases of market liberalisation. People were thinking about organisations in a different way and bringing more financial scrutiny to bear on how they were led. And as organisations were becoming multinational and more global, there was a disconnect between investors in those businesses and the people leading those businesses. And so the idea of shareholder value maximisation emerged to realign those interests. So there was a... a a purpose to it. The trouble is, of course, that the pursuit of one purpose by so many businesses has created a similar set of fragilities and a similar set of externalities than the negative effects on other stakeholders of maximising or seeking to maximise shareholder value. So that is no longer an adaptive purpose for enterprise to pursue because Mm -hmm. the things that it leaves out are the very things that will ultimately cause its own downfall as well as bringing about harm to broader society and you know studies show that an alarming percentage of businesses do in fact end up causing more harm than good when you factor in their negative externalities. So really, as you say, we have to turn purpose around. And I think just to have some empathy with this, It's something we can experience as an individual, because if we bring it back to the individual person, purpose can be a valuable conscious lens through which we create new things through which we direct our lives, through which we choose this job rather than that job. But of course, we're only consciously aware of a small percentage of that at any point in time. We're aware of the thing we're doing. And so the majority of our prior purpose is sort of cumulatively hidden in plain sight in our subconscious assumptions. And so that can make it very difficult for us to adapt, particularly in the face of change that comes from outside that scope of reference. For example, for people affected for the first time by extreme weather events, often people will tend to ignore warnings of a hurricane, for example, if they haven't previously lived through one. Because it's just so difficult to imagine it hitting. On the day of the book launch, I gave the example of firefighters arriving in bars in burning buildings and typically being met not with the response of people knocking over bar stools in a mad dash for the exit, but responding to the call to assemble outside saying, yeah, we're happy to leave or can we just finish our drinks first? It's because if we haven't lived through it, and if it isn't already in the sort of architecture of our unconscious and in an implicit part of our purpose, we don't really respond very well. And similarly, whole civilizations, once you get used to the benefits that your prior purpose has brought about, it can be very difficult to create a a new story of purpose that helps Mm. you change direction. This is why prior civilizations have fallen. I mentioned the Eden Project earlier. Tim Smith is fond of citing a particular tree that has outlived many human civilizations, And this comes about when we're unable to write new stories of purpose for ourselves that enable us to change direction in, in fundamental ways.
0: So on that note, Paul of those that do need to rewrite their purpose to fundamentally change. Where do they start? Well
1: <laughs> Obviously
0: where- by the book.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that is wonderful. L- listen to the Whole Marketer podcast, buy the purpose upgrade. Those are two fantastic starting points. Now, where you start, of course, depends on context. And you know, some a great opportunity for whole marketers is to get much better at understanding the context of all of their stakeholders. I think that needs to be part of what it means to be a whole marketer. And so I can't say exactly where to begin in the way that you couldn't choose somebody's next move in a game of chess if you don't know where their pieces stand. But you can often begin with whatever is right in front of you. So even if you're a shop floor employee, you can achieve purpose upgrades. So let's think about the purpose of ticket inspections on trains. So what would you say is the purpose of a ticket inspection?
0: To embed the principle of needing a ticket to ride the train so that you live in fear for the future to always buy a ticket in case you get caught out.
1: Yeah, a very good way of looking at it. And of course, there are certain train journeys where this could be an issue. I'm thinking specifically about my train journeys on the West Coast into London that I've taken over at least the last few years. I've never actually seen anybody dodge their fare. On that train line. And ticket inspections reach pretty much every passenger of the train. So that's a big interaction with the people that a train provider most needs to reach, people who are actually going to bother travelling on their trains. So what would it mean if a ticket inspection, instead of being there to help the train company make sure that nobody is travelling inappropriately, which is very rare anyway, or if it could play a part in improving the passenger experience of people on the train. Mm. So, for example, first of all, with your train ticket, either a train ticket is checked before you get on the train, in which case you keep it in your pocket so that you can show it easily. But the downside is it risks falling on the floor if you take out your phone from your pocket or debit card or whatever it might be. Or if the ticket's going to be checked on the train, you might keep it in your bag so it's safe and sound and you can get the ticket out when you see the ticket inspector coming up the aisle. When they do both... (laughs) It means that you're essentially screwed either way. In Japan, it's quite interesting because they have specific pockets behind the seat in front of you on the train that are ticket-shaped. And there is the convention that if the inspector sees that your ticket is in that little pouch, it means that you want to meditate, you want to listen to something, you want to concentrate, you don't want to be disturbed. So they can at least not have a negative effect on your journey. But I think more ambitiously than that, I love it when ticket inspectors actually ask people if they're having a good journey and help them have a better journey. So for example, if you need access to Wi-Fi on the train, actually most passengers need access to Wi-Fi, a ticket inspector can just interrupt their ticket inspection to go and reboot the Wi-Fi if it's going slowly or send a signal to the engineers to do that. On my last train journey home, there were delays and the train manager couldn't tell anyone anything about the delays because they were too busy trying to get everybody's ticket inspected. And they wanted to complete that task before going to find out what the delays would mean for people's journeys. So simply being in any context and thinking, "Okay, what is needed here you know, not what does my organisational set of protocols tell me to do, but what is actually needed and how can I be of the most benefit to the most people and then step back from that to see how, how do we make that work for us? So, you know, how can you still be an effective trade manager whilst actually being on the side of, in this case, travelling passengers. So I'd say we can achieve important purpose upgrades in almost any context. And in the book, there is actually an audit to do a mini purpose upgrade on anything. But more broadly than that, purpose upgrades are an always available event At any part of any organisation in any sector, it can start out as small as you like, depending on your scope of responsibility, and it can reach changing even the very values of a business or even the ownership structure of a business. So there really is no limit to the level of change that a purpose upgrade can be used to achieve.
0: I absolutely love that example, Paul. How when you said, start with what's in front of you and get a lay of the land, I thought, yeah, okay, I'm smiling and nodding. But when you said, actually, take each scenario one by one and look at how you can look at what people really need in that moment and actually repurpose the resource that you already have there to meet that need is a great way to start. And that train analogy is a really powerful one. And I'm sure many of our listeners are thinking, yeah actually, if I'm thinking that I have to build and define this purpose and get that embedded across the whole organization, that feels a lot. Or I could just focus on what I have in front of me and what's in my scope, especially for those that work in large organizations and how I can repurpose these to better serve society, our customers, our employees. It's a really great example. So thank you for sharing that. So you've mentioned the audit in the book. And what I love about your book is that it's peppered with case studies. It's peppered with the true realities that need to be faced into not only defining your repurpose, but also what it's going to need and take in order to make this live and breathe with the whole organisation. I'm going to come back to that in a second, but I know how passionate you are about this topic and I know how passionate you are through the work that you do with the marketing kind to really encourage marketeers to use their skills to benefit society as a whole. But I'm really curious about In particular, what drove you to write this book?
1: So I guess you can look at that in a couple of ways. In terms of my purpose now in making the book available, that's pretty clear. I want to make achieving important purpose upgrades as widely accessible a practice as possible. I'm really grateful to be on your show and to reach whole marketers everywhere. And I really want to reach as many audiences as possible and make this concept available as a tool people can use to do really important, meaningful things that they can be proud of and that help them achieve a greater level of success. And so in the book, I seek to pull together a commentary that perhaps helps people read their macro environment differently, a call to action that hopefully inspires action and that people can also use to inspire their colleagues to take action. And what I hope, as you say, is a very practical methodology that people can use, first of all, to find more important problems to solve. You know, we set the upper limits on our success when we choose which problems we're there to solve. And so one of the best things we can do is, you know, we've already maybe very good at finding better ways to solve existing problems, but what about if we find better problems to solve in the first place? That's where breakthroughs on purpose arise. Hopefully a methodology to support people in building solutions to those problems that enrol all of their stakeholders in a more meaningful journey of change, whether it's literally a a more meaningful train ride in that people have access to the information, knowledge and enjoyment they need to make the most of their journey and for their journey to be a useful part of their day and an effective part of their day, or whether it's something even far more aspirational than that, but actually a, a good train journey is already a good starting point. And also a practical methodology for enterprises to reach more inclusive outcomes that reward and motivate and mobilize a greater level of stakeholder engagement and support so that an enterprise really aligns all of the people that it needs to achieve a greater level of success by making that enterprise a channel for something greater than itself a greater shared ambition in terms of if you were thinking with your question more in terms of what provoked me in the first place to undertake the book before i had some of this framing worked out in my previous book collaborative advantage which was Aimed at helping people better mobilize around their purpose. One of the insights that came out was that a business creates less value than its stakeholders create. You know, customers. In a Starbucks, an economist would say that if you ask an economist who creates the most value in a Starbucks, they're probably going to say the manager, franchisee, the brand, the cleaner. What they probably won't say is the customer. But if you and I were having coffee in a Starbucks, the real draw for me anyway would be the conversation with you rather than the warm brown liquid that happens to facilitate it. So usually it's our customers creating the most value. Investors commit to the future. Partners enable us to deliver something we otherwise wouldn't be able to deliver. Colleagues don't just follow the instructions of their enlightened bosses. They bring discretionary effort and talent and their own original insight and creativity. So really an enterprise is there to enable its stakeholders to create value. And so that creates the opportunity for us to be vastly more ambitious. And so I set off in writing the book to see what more ambitious could look like. The other thing that had been in my mind is I happened to have done quite a lot of work in the humanitarian sector and in all sectors from the perspective of disasters and emergencies. And what further occurred to me from that perspective is that a lot of the most purposeful work really doesn't correspond to the way that we have thought about purpose. We've talked already about many of the shortcomings of existing models of purpose. But there are other ways we tend to think about purpose, which are just far too narrow-minded and rigid and fixed, when a lot of our most purposeful endeavour comes in response to something unforeseen. You know, we think of purpose as our North Star, That's well and good in that it sets a direction, but it doesn't really explain why communities are so purposeful when disaster hits and they have to pull together because that wasn't something they'd predicted. It wasn't following the purpose they'd already set for themselves. We tend to think of purpose as about authenticity, as if it's about introspection and something that comes from inside an organisation alone. And that's all well and good again in that, you know, we can't really claim a purpose that is at odds with who we are. But it doesn't end there because it would be pointless to pursue an authentic purpose of gastronomic delight in an environment of food poverty. You know, we also tend to think of purpose as being single minded. And there is value to that in that we need a lens of focus to channel our action and to get going. But in an enterprise environment where you're dependent on aligning the interests of all your stakeholders, your purpose won't reach maximum fruition if it is just inward looking and single minded. It really needs to be a completing purpose that aligns the interests of all of the stakeholders that you're going to rely on to achieve your success. So it struck me that there were real limitations in how we think about purpose. And it's from that thinking that the concept of the purpose upgrade emerged, and that I've now hopefully packaged in a way that can make the idea accessible and useful and effective to as many people as possible.
0: I agree with everything you're saying, Paul. And it's made me really reevaluate the role of purpose the role it plays in our lives, the role it can play in enterprises and organisations, and how it doesn't have to be this grand gesture. It can be about starting small. And I'm sure for many that are listening, allows us to really see the benefit that it brings on so, so many levels. So Paul, thank you so much for your time on today's podcast and sharing all of your insights and passions.
1: Thank you. It's always a great pleasure to talk to you, Abby.
0: Likewise. We always finish our podcast with the following question, which feels a little bit unfair today, Paul, to be honest, after the level of advice and inspiration you've given us. But what one piece of advice would you give to marketers of tomorrow?
1: So I think it's interesting because as marketing has become in many ways considerably more specialised in the time that I've been a marketer and that I've loved marketing. And so it is possible for us to become increasingly isolated and separate from a vision of wholeness. And so that's why I think the idea of the whole marketer is so important, because what we've got to do is embrace our responsibility for the narratives that determine everything. I've talked a little bit about disasters and emergencies today. Even in the case of a disaster or an emergency the direct impact of something like a pandemic or an earthquake or conflict, the direct and unavoidable impact, as great as it may be, is almost always less than the total impact of the narratives that determine how we anticipate that problem, how we prepare for it, how we try to prevent it, how we mitigate its effects, how we try to recover and rebuild from it. So really our narratives are the most important thing driving society, driving our future. So I think as marketers, this puts us in a really powerful place. You can think of marketing as a department in an enterprise alongside HR or finance, for example. But you can also think of marketing as a narrative-based discipline alongside things like history, psychology, therapy, fiction, literature, works of art, and so on. And really, I think that what we need to do as whole marketers is embrace the power of narrative and to recognize that the most important narratives are not necessarily a 30-second ad on the Super Bowl. It's the narratives that are guiding the actions of all the people that we collectively depend upon for mutual success. And if we can be the masters of embracing that and really trying to figure out what are the narratives that are driving all of our stakeholders and their intentions, what are the narratives that will pull everybody that we need towards a vision of something greater than where they are now? And then what are the promises that we need to make as marketers to make that happen? I think that's what we need to do as as marketers. So definitely go big or go home, I'd say. The challenge of the moment is that all of our stories have fallen apart that progress has lost its sense of inevitability, that tomorrow may not be better than yesterday. But it is up to us as marketers to take that as an opportunity to rewrite those stories and to write the stories that make tomorrow in the right way a better day than yesterday.
0: I love that. I absolutely love that. And thank you so much again for your time on
1: today's podcast. Thank you, Abby. It's been an absolute delight. And I can only suffer the anguish of separation until the next time I get to be on the show.
0: (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for tuning into the Whole Marketer Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do like, follow and share. The Whole Marketer is here to support and empower you and your teams with the latest technical skills, soft and leadership skills and behaviours, and personal understanding for a successful, fulfilling marketing career and life as a whole. For support, resources, and more information on how we can help you to become a Whole Marketer and build whole marketing teams, go to www.thewholemarketer.com.